evening and welcome to Registry Report Radio. My name is Michael McKay and I'll be one of your hosts this evening along with Dwayne Daughtry and Elizabeth Christensen. We're going to be talking this evening about the recent Georgia Supreme Court ruling that has struck down lifetime GPS monitoring for registrants in that state. We'll uh, get into that in some depth in just a moment. First, I want to remind you how you can listen to us live and also call in and be a part of this show. Normally, listening to us live simply means having to click on one of the links that you see in social media, but you can also go to Blog Talk Radio, search for Registry Report Radio, and then follow us there and listen to us live or listen to on-demand episodes that you see uh, that come up on the listing at Blog Talk Radio. If you don't have an internet-connected computer with which to listen, you can also call in and listen to the show on your telephone. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a wired phone or a cell phone. The number to call is 563-999-3712. Again, 563-999-3712. If you want to just listen to the show, just call that number and just listen. We may uh, have a call screener come on the line with you and ask you if you want to comment or question. And if you don't, just say you don't. Not everybody wants to hear themselves on the radio, and we totally get it. All right, so tonight we're going to be talking about this case that was just decided in Georgia on Monday. Let me give you a little bit of background about it. The case was about a registrant named Joseph Park. Joseph Park was convicted of several counts, actually one count of child molestation, nine counts of sexual exploitation of a minor in Douglas County, Georgia in 2003. He was classified as a sexually dangerous predator under Georgia's existing classification law. They do have three tiers of classification there. However, to be classified as the a third-tier registrant, sexually dangerous under the law, you really don't have to be much of a predator. I, I, went, I went ahead and took a look at the law, and for example, you are classified as sexually dangerous if you have had an obscene phone call with someone, for example. So the definition is very broad there. So anyway, he was classified as a Tier 3 sexually dangerous predator and released from prison in 2011. So he spent seven years in prison and was released in 2011 and placed on probation. He did four years of probation and completed that successfully in 2015. Now, the following year, in 2016, Joseph Park was arrested in DeKalb County, Georgia, for destroying his ankle monitor. Now, he had been required under state law to wear an, a GPS ankle monitor for the rest of his life. And apparently, he didn't like that. He destroyed it one year into his probation and was arrested for that. Uh, he went to court arguing that GPS monitoring under the law amounted to an unreasonable search and because he had already completed his sentence and his probation, that it was unconstitutional. Now, he lost that case, and it, it has consequently gone to the Georgia Supreme Court. It ruled that GPS monitoring for life violates the Fourth Amendment Clause of the Constitution, which protects people against unreasonable searches and seizures. 
Now, a legal analyst named Phil Holloway said, and I quote, the court is saying that once someone pays their debt to society, they're not under sentence. It's unreasonable to require them to submit to electronic monitoring for the rest of their life. This is yet another clear indication that the Georgia court is taking a more libertarian stance when it comes to freedoms of all types. So the justices of the Georgia Supreme Court, there are nine of them, ruled unanimously for Mr. Park in this case. And that's, I think, pretty remarkable on the face of it to have nine Southern justices ruling for a registrant in a case such as this. So that in itself is really remarkable. But the the justices ruled unanimously that it was unconstitutional to use a 24-7 warrantless GPS monitoring system to the extent that a registrant is no longer serving any part of their sentence, including probation. What's sad about the way they did this is the justices also provided some commentary. In fact, I won't even call it commentary. They kind of gave the hint that if the Georgia legislature simply changes the way the law is written, that they may actually be able to reinstate some of these uh, GPS restrictions on people. And so that's, uh, that's one of the downsides of this decision is the fact that in the same breath, while the justices were striking down this law, they were giving tips to legislators on how to reinstate something very much like it. So we're going to be talking tonight about some of the issues surrounding a decision like this, some of the factors that play into wearing and and having to submit to GPS monitoring. Our co-hosts this evening are Dwayne Daughtry and Elizabeth Christensen. Let's say hi to Dwayne right now. How are you doing, Dwayne? Is it cold enough for you there in uh, North North Carolina, isn't it? Yes, it's cold. Yes, it's North Carolina, and it's just, it's cold. And when I say cold, it's not even freezing, but because I'm in North Carolina, I'm obligated to say that anything below 40 degrees to us is cold. So. I don't know why I I don't know why I always ask you about the weather. I just hate the winter time. I, I'm I'm just looking for some sympathy here. I want to go back to the tropics or something. <laughs> well, yeah. Speaking of the tropics, we've got Elizabeth on the line. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? I'm doing great, except for it is really cold here. Well, it's cold everywhere. I, I think it's global warming. Obviously, that's what's going on here. <laughs> So we are we're going to be talking tonight on an issue that just doesn't apply to everybody, obviously. In fact, I believe I'm probably the only person here who's ever worn a GPS monitor. Would that be correct? Dwayne, you've never had to wear one, right? No. Right. No, and never Elizabeth, you're our resident goody two-shoes who never went to jail or anything, so you obviously didn't, but your son <laughs> has, right? Correct. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put you on my list. There's our resident goody two-shoes here. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> so actually, that's probably a good segue. Why don't you tell us, Elizabeth, a little bit about the process by which your son came to have to, you know, not necessarily the, the crime and conviction and everything, but how did they break it to him that he was going to be wearing a GPS, and how did they implement that whole thing with him? 
you know, I'm not really sure how they explained it to him. I didn't, I couldn't go to the sentencing. It was just too traumatic. And upon his release, I did pick him up and he obviously was wearing it. So they took him directly from his release and fitted it on him. So Mm -hmm. I think he probably knew because at the sentencing, they did say house arrest. So Mm -hmm. I think that he knew we just, you're trying so hard to get past the worries of him being in custody. It's just not something that you want to dwell on. And you just, you know, you'd rather face it as you go. Mm-hmm. Do you know if the GPS monitoring was part of his sentence specifically? I know that that's, that was a factor in this, this Georgia decision where the, the justices basically said, you can't put someone on lifetime GPS monitoring unless it's part of the sentence. And they, yeah. you know, they kind of said that with a wink, wink, nudge, nudge sort of thing towards the, uh, not only the legislators in the state, but probably also to judges and prosecutors throughout the state. So do you know in your case whether it was part of the sentence or was it something that was mandated afterwards by... It was uh, part of the sentence so that, you know, that could start his probationary period. That was, mm-hmm. you know, part of that, I guess you'd call it early release. The question I was going to ask is, first of all, how long will he have to wear a GPS monitor? Do you know? He was told two years. But on the day of his release, of course, he spoke with his attorney about what to expect next. And the attorney said, well, if you have good behavior, then you can request. And it's generally accepted that you're released as soon as you fulfill half of that portion of the sentence. Because he was sentenced to two years of house arrest on GPS and then five years probation in total. And so we're working on, it's been over a year now, we're pretty close to a year and a half, but everything in this system moves so slow. I somehow expect for him to be wearing it when he's eligible to get off probation completely. It wouldn't surprise me. Have you heard anything, any sort of feedback from your son about the difficulties of having to wear this thing 24-7? Well, you know, anything that you wear that tight is going to irritate your skin, be pretty uncomfortable. I think a lot of it for him is the feeling of being confined. Because before all this occurred, he was not someone that went and hang, you know, would hang out with friends or even go to the mall. He was pretty much a homebody. He stayed with the same girl since, gosh, middle school. So he wasn't, you know, out gallivanting like most teenagers, young adults were. He was always home anyway. So I think a lot of it is a mental thing for him. Right. What sort of model... GPS monitor does he have? Is it a a big clunky thing? Is it a sleek little stylish thing? Uh, Most of of the ones that I have seen are just horrible. Yeah, it's it's pretty large. Do you remember the old pagers? Like the old square Mm -hmm. pagers? It's that, but it's thicker, probably twice the thickness. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's, it's pretty tight and he doesn't He's scared to death of it, so he doesn't try to make it more comfortable for him. 
And then along with that, he has something that attaches to his belt. And if the two get very far, like if he leaves his bedroom and goes to the bathroom next door or the kitchen, that thing will start sounding off in maybe two minutes. Mm -hmm. And they have everybody in the family. They have everybody's cell phone. So Mm -hmm. maybe two weeks ago at 3.30 in the morning, I get a call. It's from a number I don't recognize. But I went ahead and answered it anyway. I'm thinking, well, maybe this is a family emergency. And they asked me, is your son home? I'm like, well, yes. And I'm thinking, he's on GPS. Can you not see where he's at? Right. You tell me, right? <laughs> right. And so uh, they said, okay, well, can we speak with him? I'm like, okay. So I go in there and wake him up. I'm like, okay. You know, the tracking system is on the phone. They want to speak with you. And he picks up the other, you know, portion up that goes on himself and looks at it. It has a full signal. His cell phone has a full signal. And they tell him, so, well, we need you to go outside and stand in the front yard. Well, they first asked him where he was at. He was like, well, I'm at home. And they said, but where at in your home? And he's like, in my bedroom at 3 in the morning. I'm sleeping. Yeah, where else would I be, right? Yeah, right. Well, we need you to get up and go outside. Don't stand under a tree. You need to stand in an unobstructed area in your front yard for 15 minutes. I don't know if they were doing a software update or what that was all about, but it it happens more than you think it would. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about my experience with this. When I was released from prison, I was released to a halfway house, and I was there for three or four months before I was allowed to go home. And at the halfway house, we were all encouraged to go out and find jobs and look for apartments and the the typical sort of thing that happens in all halfway houses. Unfortunately, the halfway house where I was housed was a couple hours from my home. And so going out looking for an apartment or a job was really kind of stupid. And counterproductive for me because I wasn't going to be in that area when I left the halfway house. So I spent an awful lot of time just biding my time and waiting to be sent home. Even so, they allowed me to have a certain amount of freedom to move around the city, registering at temp agencies and going to pick up supplies at Walmart or whatever that you needed while you're at the halfway house. And I just found it very interesting that while I was at a halfway house, one week out of prison, they let me roam around the city with no problem. But once I went home, then they decided I needed to have a GPS monitor on my ankle. So they gave me one of these big, clunky, ball and chain type of monitors. I think the thing weighed about four pounds and has nothing but sharp corners on it. And it's just so uncomfortable, so heavy, and it's so clunky that you think to yourself, how in the world am I going to live with this thing on my ankle for however long it's going to be? And they didn't, they wouldn't tell me how long it was going to be either. They just said, probation department has decided you should have an ankle monitor. And I said, okay, you know, let's do this. So they attach it to your leg with screws, you know, I'm not not with screws to your leg, but to itself, it's screwed on and you literally can't take it off unless you cut it or your leg off and they send you home. Well, they they give you a briefing that says 
go straight home. Don't take the scenic route. Uh, don't leave the house unless uh, you check with us first. Tell us where you're going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're thinking, well, this will be easy because I got no place to go anyway. Little did I know that this GPS nightmare was going to be just just a royal, royal pain in the butt. I should also say that when I was released from the halfway house to go home, they made sure that you have a phone, a wired phone, a wired connected phone at the house. It can't have any of the, the typical phone services like call forwarding or caller ID. I guess the whole idea is that they want to be able to call you and like in your case, Elizabeth, and be able to call you at three in the morning and see if you're actually there. And obviously, if you're forwarding your calls to your girlfriend's house or something, then you're not. And I guess the whole idea of having caller, not having caller ID on there is they also don't want you to know that it's them calling. Why, I don't know, because you still have to pick up the phone one way or the other. But uh, anyway, so there was this built-in system that they had to ensure that you were actually at your location uh, using simple telephone call. But of course, that wasn't enough. Once the uh, I was out of the halfway house's jurisdiction, the probation department took charge of me and slapped a GPS monitor on me. And the first thing I noticed was, for example, I was driving home from the probation department to my house. And within five minutes of getting to my house, I got a call from my probation officer and said, why did you take the route that you did from our office to your house. It wasn't the most direct route. And I thought to myself, this is insane. I've been in jail. It's been a long time since I've even been in my hometown. I kind of want to go down the main streets and see what has changed. But no, you have to take the most direct route, even if that means going through a residential neighborhood, going past an elementary school, whatever. You have to take the most direct route. And I made the mistake of taking the major streets to my home. And apparently that was a big no-no. Eventually, I found out that these GPS monitors also have a lot of other little idiosyncrasies. One of them is that the battery life on them is terrible. You would think all you have to do is charge it up once a day and wear it all day and there will be no problem, but that's not necessarily the case. I literally had to charge mine twice a day, which means no matter what was going on in my life, I had to make sure that I was back home charging this uh, this GPS monitor. Also, the particular model that I had had a, a base station, so it was really in two parts, a base station which never left my kitchen, and the ankle monitor that never left my leg. And if I moved too far away from my kitchen, it caused problems. It uh, it literally set off bells and whistles at the probation officer's office. And so, I, I mean, I don't have a big house, but I've got a pretty large backyard. I've got a, a full acre backyard in my front lawn is not huge, but it's bigger than some people's. And the simple act of taking my trash out to the curb in the morning would set this thing off. They would call me and ask, where are you? And I'd say, I'm standing in my living room. Why? Well, you know, the, the monitor went off, says you're too far from the base station. I'm going like, it's Monday morning. I was taking the trash out to the curb. And they would do the same thing 
uh, Elizabeth, that they did with your son. They would tell me to stand in certain places for certain periods of time so they could calibrate their equipment a little bit more. But there was also one other idiosyncrasy in this thing, which was that apparently they are programmed to consistently monitor your movement. And once I fall asleep at night, I don't move. So I would get a call at four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning from my probation officer saying, where are you? And I'm going like, I'm in bed. Where the hell else would I be at four o'clock in the morning? And literally he would tell me, well, okay, from now, the, the monitor is set up so that it's supposed to detect if you've cut it off and are no longer moving. And if you sleep too soundly, it also reports that you're no longer moving and it looks like you've cut it off. And sure enough, the next morning, the probation officer shows up at my house and inspects the the monitor to ensure that I haven't cut it off or slipped out of it somehow. And he was apparently happy that it was still on my leg and my leg was still on my body <laughs> and I hadn't fiddled with it in any way. But I, I don't think people realize just how intrusive these devices are. They are literally a ball and chain. It's not much different than the old 17th century ball and chain. It hobbles you and restricts your movements. And it is set off by the silliest things. It'll set off an alarm if you don't move around enough. It'll set off an alarm if you are too far away from your own kitchen. It will set off an alarm if you aren't on the most direct path between your home and your job, for example. You know, God forbid that you should go two blocks out of your way to get a root beer float at, at the local drive through or something. That's it, absolutely not allowed. And I can understand it if you are if you are a serial killer and they were really worried that you were going to, you know, stop on the way to work and serially kill somebody, I could kind of understand this. But this is insane to do it for people who are not a huge threat to society. I'm going to bring Dwayne on. He's done a lot of research on GPS monitoring as part of his master's program. Dwayne, what can you tell us about what you've learned in your research? The first thing is, is I'm, I'm listening to a lot of things that's bringing up, I would say, emotional reactions to the research I had before is with GPS, it's funny, we talk about how they have, uh, we've improved GPS technology, we've improved monitoring. We, I mean, we have cars that are driving themselves, but yet your son or someone out there listening is still wearing something that was created in 1979. We just give it a new look and just say, oh, this is new, it's refurbished, or it, it's whatever. It's, it's extraordinary. What's most extraordinary is that someone would call another person on a cell phone to wake them up, to tell them to walk outside so they can locate an individual that hasn't relocated based on their last known movement. So it begs to question what's considered an unreasonable or undeemed search. This is supposed to be a 24-hour thing, right? Mm -hmm. So the burning question that a lot of people should be asking is, if you're monitoring me all the time, why couldn't you monitor that there was a big change? You had a disconnect, 
So I've got to go outside and stand for 15 minutes so I can reconnect on a flawed system that you developed and blame the individual that has to wear it. That, to me, is something that needs to facilitate an argument and uh, and go back to uh, Department of Corrections. We really need to hold Department of Prisons and Corrections very much accountable for the technology they're using. Yeah, the science is not flawless by any stretch of the imagination. The technology has a lot of glitches in it. And, you know, when you're talking about glitches in technology as it pertains to you know, your computer or your car, that's one thing. But when people go to prison as a result of a technology glitch, I think at that point, some real soul searching has to happen. Like I said, there are so many ways that the GPS monitors can return a false signal of some sort. And the the mere fact that they have to have you stand out on your lawn so they can calibrate it again over and over again is testament to that. But it's also just sad that I think the reason people like these laws, some people like these laws, is because they believe that someone is just such a danger to to society that they should be monitored every moment of every day to ensure that they're not out raping and pillaging and serially killing or whatever. But here's the point. If people are really that freaking dangerous, don't let them out of jail. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but if they're really well, yeah. that dangerous, then put them in jail and keep them there, you know. And but you know what? Those kind of people are a tiny, tiny minority. And I'll be the first to admit there are some really dangerous people out there. Don't get me wrong, there are, and I wouldn't want right. to find myself sitting next to them on a bus stop bench. I wouldn't want them living next door to me either, these really, really dangerous people. But 99% of the people on the registry are not these really, really dangerous people. And the ones who are probably shouldn't be out roaming the streets in the first place. So the whole concept of tagging human beings as if they were dangerous animals, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're tagging you and tracking you like you were a wolf at Yosemite National Park or Yellowstone or something, on the face of it, it's insulting. You're tracking me like a wild animal. But even if you, when you go beyond that insulting nature of this practice, it makes so many assumptions that are just patently untrue, including the fact that even if it worked 100% of the time, which it doesn't even come close, how would it stop me from committing a crime? All it would do is let you know where I was while I was committing a crime. It doesn't stop anyone, particularly someone who uh, they like to characterize these dangerous so-called predatory sex offenders as being unable to control their urges. Well, you know what? If they can't control their urges, putting a GPS monitor on them is not going to stop them either. I know Elizabeth had something she wanted to add here. What what say you, Elizabeth? Oh, I was just going to make a few more comments, Uh, some things that you were sharing. Like when he first got it put on, maybe the first three days, we had heard so many horror stories. Like there's a community in South Florida that runs a, a plantation of sorts to give returning citizens a place to go and start over. 
And I'd spoken to them a couple times, and, and he told me about a story where a gentleman on GPS, the portion of it that, that my son wears on his belt, he had left it at work. He was supposed to be there. He knew, his PO knew that he was going to be there. He had permission to be there. And so when he lost it, the PO, of course, came to see him, and he says, I don't know, maybe my son, he just, it just drew a blank. He said, I, I don't know where it's at. I'll look for it. And he feverishly looked for it. He says, maybe my son played with it. Maybe my son took it off my pants when I got home from work. I don't know. Anyway, he gets sent back to prison for 15 years because wow. the other half of it was at work. Yeah. The crazy thing is that's not a crime. Here's somebody going back to prison for 15 years, and he's not convicted of any crime. He's simply not where his probation officer thinks he is. That's the crime. Well, it wasn't even that. He, he was still wearing the ankle portion. It's just that uh -huh. it got separated from, I guess, what you would call the home base. Now it's mm -hmm. attached to your pants. But the portion that attached to his pants was at work where he was supposed to be. So they were in the in the midst of fighting that. The other thing I think is really strange, too, is when you go, you get permission to, say, go to Walmart from 8 in the morning to 10 in the morning, and then you'll be back home. Mm -hmm. So if you are on your way to Walmart and halfway there, this thing starts going off, the portion on his waistband, he it's like a cell phone to call into the monitoring center. Well, they tell you, do not stop. Do not turn around. Continue going. But if a PO forgets to put that in, mm. or a secretary or someone, and that's not recorded, they'll violate you for that because you didn't have permission to be going there. Right. But I think okay, that, that proves the argument or that I'm trying to make is that we're rebranding something that is supposed to be modern, but we're still using methods that are from 1979. You're told to do something. We haven't improved the process is what you're saying. They're telling you exactly something that was decades ago to continue doing. And that's the, the problem that we have. Another issue that we have with GPS monitoring altogether is it is not a tool for law enforcement. It is a tool and resource for private enterprise to make business. This is a moneymaker. This is supposed to this is supposed to actually the GPS is supposed to reduce prison sentencing. It's supposed to reduce incarceration. It's supposed to reduce a, a lot of things as far as the public needs. However, who is it making money for? As as Michael mentioned, he has to get a phone. It has to be a landline. Who's using a landline anymore? We're still going back to the 1960s now. We're going backwards. And by the way, you can't have, have caller ID. You can't have whatever. It, it's just so mixture of convolution of let's live and put these people in the 1970s, but yet let's don't use anything in the new millennium. It's mm -hmm. just a moneymaker. That's all. Yeah, the GPS industry pulls in $6 million a day, and that equates to $2.2 billion per year. And the crazy thing is that uh, most states and jurisdictions charge the the registrant themselves for 
right. the device. Uh, so uh, the average right. registrant the average registrant pays between a hundred and hundred and fifty dollars a month. I've heard some estimate people having to pay two hundred to two hundred and fifty dollars a month for the privilege of wearing a GPS monitor. The cost to the federal and state courts is about $36 a day per offender for GPS monitoring. So the amount of the fees, the money that the registrants are paying for the privilege of wearing this monitor doesn't even begin to cover the cost to the government. But the interesting thing is that these are private companies that are providing the devices, providing the service and the software, and in, in some cases, even the monitoring at a, a very high cost to the government, which is surprising considering the fact that I don't think anyone's actually looked to see if GPS monitoring actually accomplishes anything. You hear over and over again about this being a, a great alternative to incarceration. You know, instead of spending... $38 a day or $50 a day or whatever it is to keep someone in jail. Let's just slap this GPS monitor on them and we can save all this money. Well, the GPS monitor costs the government $36 a day. I, I believe it's $38 a day to keep them in jail. So it's not like you're saving a hell of a lot of money. And on top of all that, I'm not sure that it's solving any problems. Again, if we're talking about registrants who have issues with impulse control or people who are simply unable to stay on the straight and narrow, people who are psychopaths or sociopaths, this this little device on his ankle or on his belt loop is not going to stop anybody. If anything, it just makes it a little bit easier for a probation officer or a prosecutor to to create a case against you for putting you back in prison. And usually it's not because you've committed a crime. Usually it's simply because you were someplace that they didn't expect you to be or someplace that you didn't have permission to be. In 2015, there were 125,000 people being monitored by GPS devices. That's up from right. just 10 years earlier, only 53,000 10 years earlier in 2005. It's up to 125,000 in 2015. I believe it's probably gone up another 30 to 50 percent just in the last three or four years. So we could, we could be looking now at a quarter of a million people on GPS monitors right now. And we can actually just go and, and look at how much a Fitbit costs or or great technology that's out there by private enterprise companies that are charging probably less than $10 a month to monitor Alzheimer's or you know certain patients. The same technology, identical, side-by-side uh, -side comparison technology, but yet they're paying somebody else 30-some-odd dollars a day for, or, or, or however it is for the uh, GPS monitoring. I'm talking about $10 mm -hmm. a month. Yeah. But real quickly, I wanted to go into the cases of, for Georgia itself as far as how did they get to this, how did they get to this decision making? The first thing is there's a case in North Carolina that's actually moving forward that's very similar to this, where the uh, it was Griffin versus North Carolina had a court of appeals ruling that law enforcement cannot force offenders to wear tracking devices uh, for decades. And that was cited from the U.S. Court of Appeals, the Fourth Circuit. 
And that was a, a while back. And in 2015, there was another case called Grady versus North Carolina. And it actually talked about if um, GPS monitoring can, uh, constitutes search and seizure under the Fourth Amendment. And that, too, was uh, struck down. So they're still debating this as far as North Carolina, how to deal with it, because there are sheriffs that have come forward former uh, Wake County Sheriff Donnie Harrison that was booted out of office and replaced with another sheriff just recently mentioned that GPSs uh, are a blame if they don't have them. They blame him if something happens and they blame law enforcement uh, officers because the law is too weak. Problem with that argument is that it creates a prejudice that someone might commit a crime instead of using fact of law that something did happen and a crime happened, yet shouldn't be a part of our judicial and policy making. It yet is an emotion and an unsupported evidence. It's not a fact. So an act, when you're saying people are going out and committing crimes and, and they're having some other issues, my argument would be that prisons and mental institutions are two separate entities, but yet we have focused all of our energy, resources, finances, and funding based upon prisons, not mental health and people that can actually help these individuals that are, I would call it habitual in nature would be a, a fair assessment. We've really given no pathway towards social workers because they have no real authority except to become a paperwork trail back to law enforcement. So locking up people, that's an argument that law enforcement wants. That solidifies their, their end to filling up jails, prisons, and reintroducing another GPS requirement. So that if, if someone facilitates an excuse toward identifying a motive and reason why the GPS is so important, my argument would be let's really look at the justice reform should have be a part of mental health institutions. We really need to have that as a, a, a discussion point. Absolutely. Sorry, absolutely. No, that, <laughs> that I mean, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Now, your your research was primarily on GPS monitoring in North Carolina. Is that correct? That's correct. Go well, I'm, I'm going to assume that the laws in most states are very similar in this regard. Is that something that you found in your research? I'm, I'm certain you've done some ca comparison uh, shopping, so to speak. And I'm going to actually shock you by saying, no, there is no comparisons, really. There is there's comparisons when it comes to using certain devices, but each state has its own way of, I would call it monitoring systems. So we've probably heard this thing, uh, it, it's a far reach, but we've probably heard a thing called Stingray. It monitors cell phone transmissions and so forth. Uh, it's a way of FBI and other uh, intelligence gathering organizations can mimic what's considered a phone tower and send sure. out a, trignal, a signal to trick other cell phones. Well, Stingray has quietly being used to monitor also offenders or registrants because when you're registering, you have to relinquish identifiers, IDs, IP addresses, cell phones. Each state has its own way. So that indicates and implies that some states do, some states don't. Some states are quiet, some states are very transparent. So the way that GPS works is some states monitor all the time, some do not. They just wake you up in the middle of the light, as we just found, uh, mm -hmm. because their registries, the states with large, significant registries, Florida, California, Texas, 
those states really don't have a system in place to really facilitate a GPS standard, while other states, surprisingly, um, Indiana, Michigan, I'm trying to think of Nevada itself, uh, where the registry isn't as high, has a very effective rate. But they use some, I would call it, higher technologies out there. So it's a mixed bag. Well, you know, the the decision in Georgia it really only applies to people who are not under a court order or sentence or probation or parole. Essentially, the court said that once you've done your time in jail, in prison, once you have completed your probation or parole, that the state has no constitutional uh, basis for monitoring your activities that closely. And when we're talking about that closely, they literally, I did a lot of work with GPS while I was in the military, both in the field and in research and development. I spent some time in army research and development using all sorts of fancy schmancy devices. And I know how accurate GPS can be. They, they literally given the right circumstances, they would know what room in the house you happen to be in at any given time. And the intrusiveness of that is just mind-boggling. It's literally as if an agent of the government were was following you one step behind you everywhere you go, even in your own house. That would be bad enough if you were on probation or parole. But imagine, the, imagine being off probation, being off parole, thinking that, oh my gosh, I've, I made it. I made it through five years of probation. It's over. I'm free. And then realizing that the government will always know where you are right down to within five to 10 meters. And for what? You're not committing a, a crime in your bedroom or your den or your kitchen that the GPS is going to be able to identify. It is intrusive for, for no apparent reason. It's simply a, a ball and chain. It's simply a way of, tra of hobbling your, your movement and reporting on your movement every moment of every day for no good reason. It doesn't make anyone safer the only thing it does is make it easier to put you back in prison. And, and the crazy thing is, if you're not on probation or parole, it's not even a violation of the terms of your probation or parole. It's literally a way of dreaming up new crimes, new punishments for you that didn't exist prior to that. And the more I think about it, the, the more angry I get about it, because there's really no good reason for it. And yet the, the Georgia Supreme Court has left the door open for legislators and courts throughout the state to make it ubiquitous, to make it easy for uh, right. the state and to track you for no good legal constitutional reason. And I would like to I'd like to compliment that one statement by really bringing up something very valuable that our listeners really should take a look at or try to understand better is 1983 Supreme Court case, U.S. versus Knotts. That case was basically how the FBI at the time was tracking people without a warrant. That's a very significant case. And the U.S. Supreme Court says you have to have a warrant. Now, a sentence has a, a criteria, but 
not really a contractual agreement unless it's signed. So when you have a pretrial release or you're on probation or something, you sign a contractual agreement that you will do the following things in lieu of your freedom. However, people or individuals with GPS requirements are mandated by law only, but the contractual agreement really begins the argument of the U.S. versus not says, when does the agency begin tracking and are they over tracking? So in this case, they called Elizabeth's cell phone. That is an unreasonable way of tracking and really in violation of the U.S. versus Knott's case. So here's the, the bigger issue that we're looking at is Georgia is removing a lot of people from its registries. I mean, they just bumped off nearly 1,500 people over the past year because it removed misdemeanor registrants. Georgia recodified its laws to remove some sex offenses completely because they were just saying, these are sex offenses, but not serious sex offenses to warrant a registry. Georgia is now removing its GPS requirements. Georgia it, it doesn't like its registry anymore. There are people and advocates and, and some really good discussions in the uh, Atlanta legislature. Uh, well, is it Atlanta? Uh, anyhow, the legislature in, uh, in Georgia that says the registry is harming property valuations. So Georgia is really learning from its mistakes, primarily because of Florida or other states that have serious registry issues. So North Carolina is also a part of that discussion using all these other cases of saying the registry is doing more harm, but also the GPS issue is not really helping our issues as well. You don't have to be a registrant on the GPS. You can be anyone that's in the prison system today. It's not helping. It's not providing a, a value add service. It's only providing that value add to the companies that are being paid for it. You know, I was going to ask you, Elizabeth, when do you expect your son to be off his monitor? Well, if we can ever get in touch with his attorney, hopefully they'll put the motion in soon. We just have not been able to get in touch with the right people to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. I was also going to touch on what Dwayne just said. I was speaking to a representative a few weeks ago talking about that very issue about how sex offender registries bring property values down. And here lately, they've been going after Amazon, trying to romance them to come to the state and and I'm thinking, okay, look at how it's sweeping across the nation that all these other states are realizing we're throwing millions of tax dollars away and receiving zero benefit. But what it seems to want to hold on to it, that's a badge of honor. We do lots of things that way. And instead of kind of pushing for progress, realizing our mistakes and, and being better, we seem to be going in reverse here. Yeah. You know, something that really scares the crap out of me, and I'll be honest about this, is these third-party websites and phone applications, and you can download dozens of them, that purport to tell you when a sex offender is in your area. Now, you and I all know that there's no app that can do that. All they do is check the publicly accessible databases that are fed information by law enforcement for the registry purposes, and it gives a home address. But the, they're selling these phone iPhone applications and other 
programs to people under the misconception that you'll know when a registrant is on the same bus as you are or happens to be sure. in the same Walmart that you happen to be in. And this, right. this mythology of being able to provide real-time tracking of your whereabouts, unfortunately, is going to lead to people saying, wait a minute, that's not happening? Why isn't it happening? We have GPS. We should be able to know if there's a, a, a registered sex offender in the same Walmart that I happen to be in. People are going to start demanding that capability, and that is a scary thing to me. What do you think, Dwayne? Well, what are you going to do when you have it? What are you going to do when you know that you have that app, the Boogeyman app, and you've downloaded it, and all of a sudden you're in the Walmart or you're in the Denny's or you're in the McDonald's or what? What are you going to do? What can you do? You've just got an well, app that says someone's there. Pitchforks and uh, torches and, immediately come to mind. Absolutely. Yes, that's one thing. But, but what it does, it's, it's inciting a call to action. It doesn't educate the public. The issue that, that we should be driving at and people should be really advocating heavily is, okay, you've got it. Here it is. What are you going to do with it? You've got the registry. What are you doing with it? Nothing has been done with the registry except to yeah. just publicly shame. So are you yeah, going to good. Are you going to actually publicly <laughs> shame somebody in public? You know what? I wish it was only as bad as that. You know, I wish public shaming were the worst thing that was happening to people on the registry, but it's not. You know, people are literally showing up at people's doors and shooting and killing them. You know, people are yes, literally tracking down right. your family members and threatening them. I have I have written article after article on my website about people who aren't even on the registry who get beaten and killed just because someone thinks they're on the registry, or maybe they moved yes. into a house or an apartment that someone on the registry once lived in. So, uh, yeah, I wish, every, I wish shame and humiliation were the only things we have to worry about, but it isn't. Right. And, and what I worry about is that this GPS tracking ability, this technical capability that our government has, can be put to uses that are just so much worse than they are right now. I mean, we, we think it's bad that the government can put us back in prison because we went to Walmart instead of Target because the GPS told on us. That's bad. The, 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 but The advocacy yeah. of discussion should go back toward the companies that actually publish this information because they had to get it from someone. And that site, because it's usually a state or a, a federally-based site, you have to have per permissions that says you will obey by these certain rules. Now, if you decide oh, yeah. to open up a public website or an app to do that, then you're cross-facilitating that as an educational response. If it's not an educational response, it's considered an entertainment response, which under anyone that's a registrant or anyone that's affected by the registry can sue that company. And this is the issue sure. that nobody's nobody's doing that. No one's doing sure, it. Dwayne, they're too scared to come forward. Of course, uh, under the under the laws as they are currently constituted, it's not happening and it's not going to happen. But trust me on this: the technology is available to track someone wearing a GPS monitor 24/7 and publishing that information publicly on a website, on a phone app, and there's only one thing stopping that from happening right now, and that's nobody has gone to the legislator and said, hey, let's do this. Because the minute some and legislator gets it into his head, 
But the minute they get it and into their head that US this would be a great Knox. thing, yeah, but you're, you're, you're expecting them to, Knox, to so use common sense. You're expecting right, them to use said. common sense, and, and we all know that the laws don't hinge on common sense reasoning. But that's what scares me, is that this technology, as bad as it is now, can get, oh, so much worse. And I think we need to be very, very vigilant about that. Well, any last words, Elizabeth? Yeah, we do. You know, listening to you both talk should really scare the hell out of anybody who's not on the registry and doesn't have to wear a GPS. Because here, here. Yeah, we looked back when the registry started. Nobody said anything. So now we're starting animal cruelty registries. We're starting prostitution registries. We're starting John registries. We're, we're going to, you know, I heard somewhere that somebody's trying to start a registry for people who got out of prison for murder. Now, if you don't speak up when it doesn't affect you, who will It'll you It'll be too late to when, when it does. does. Yep. Because yep. you will be a criminal and nobody will listen to you because you are the other. And if they lock yep. you up and they take employment away from you, how are you going to pay for an attorney or feed your family? Yep. You the entire fight. system... The entire system is designed to silence you, and Absolutely. that's one of the reasons we do what we are doing right now with Registry Report Radio. We're tired of being silenced, and we want to give people a voice, and we want to bring some of these issues to, to light, and we want to educate people, and we also want to set up a, a way for people to use their voice and to maybe lend a little bit of credence to the idea that this is a, a really, really bad idea and, and some of these trends that need to be reversed. I'm afraid we're out of time. We've actually gone a little over time. But I want to thank you, Dwayne, and you, Elizabeth, for being on the show tonight. I think we had a great discussion. We might have got a little too fiery there. I know that this makes me angry when I think about it and, and speaking about it. I just I want to get on my soapbox and pound on my chest and get people to listen. I want to thank you both for being with us tonight. For our listeners, we will be back next week, Monday, with a great show. I believe we have Dr. Will Mingus as our guest, who's the editor-in-chief of Lifetimes Magazine, the only print magazine for registrants in the entire United States. And he'll tell us a little bit about that project and what you can do to help it along. I want to thank everyone for listening and remind you to listen next week to Registry Report Radio. Mm-hmm.